Garbage Fire Podcast, aka MFKS Radio on the Airwaves Dial at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Megan and Kelsey, who cannot wait to get out from under the gaze of Dr. TJ Eckelberg. Welcome back to five minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> or like five days or maybe a week, or we don't know. We haven't decided yet. Well, in our timeline. Yeah. Um, it was just enough time for a little break in a gossip session. <laughs> yeah, of course. So we're going to talk about chapter two of The Great Gatsby. Which I think is one of the best chapters. It's really good. It's very vivid. The descriptions are so vivid Oof. in it. Yes. And, and should we... Sorry. Oh, I, we have our discussion. We do have our discussion question. And I think that before we get to the discussion question, yes. I think that the scene in the movie from this chapter is maybe the best one other than the shirts. Yeah. Totally agree. But it's totally just it, it is like it's like a renaissance painting the it way is. that it is filmed and it is so goddamn beautiful i don't love the movie and we can talk about why later on yeah. but that scene is just oh totally great so what is our question i forget the question is last week we asked what quality in other people do you admire uh this week it's what quality in other people do you most despise i would say dishonesty for sure i think i think people who are willfully dishonest and like mo no dishonesty is the wrong word i want to say like people who are deceitful maybe yes. not dishonest because like i think there are times where you can be dishonest with good intent where you are like there's mm -hmm. a surprise for someone or you know thing or you're keeping a secret for a short period of time because that's the right thing to do i think that's okay i think it's when you were being like willfully deceitful mm -hmm. i think to me is is a, a quality that i most despise in other people is it because it affects your ability to trust no it's because it runs a hundred percent opposite to how i feel people right. should interact okay and i think if we like last time i said that empathy is a quality that i most admire mm -hmm. um and i think that that sort of willful deception almost perfectly contradicts yep. the ability to empathize. True. Well, shockingly, mine was integrity last time. <laughs> this time it's manipulation. Wait, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Imagine that. I cannot stand it. And we've talked about this before for other reasons, you and I. But if I were caught to not be married, which, like, crossing myself that it doesn't happen but i could not play what the kids call the dating game i don't fucking play games just tell me oh. you like me or you don't like me i don't care about the other shit do you just like me direct. check yes or no like that be is yeah. honest don't yeah. manipulate me to get a reaction that you think you want or don't want so what you're saying like, is you what? don't want to be in a situation where you feel like your only purpose there is to have a contributory yes, emotive response exactly or to um be tricked into feeling a certain way so that it makes someone else feel better right about themselves or about the situation or that there's like a winner or a loser okay in a situation or a relationship that's not how life works and i can't stand that isn't it though no we all end up in the same place in the sky in the end megan 
Um, <laughs> I was waiting for that. Well, <laughs> I'm going to respectfully disagree with that. Because um, I don't believe in fairy tales. Mm. And if this book is anything, it is not a fairy tale. It is a cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah, well, darn tootin'. <laughs> um, yeah. Diving into chapter two? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, who Fuck, does I love the Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. Let's start with that. Oh, not the girl he finishes? Just start with okay. the, we'll get to the actors in a second. Is this a quiz question for me? No, just why, <laughs> why, why is the gaze of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg so oppressive? Okay, so the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg are a faded old billboard in this section of the countryside, essentially. It's like a poverty-stricken area, I guess, between New York City and Long Island, where the super wealthy are. And what's crucial about it is that it's faded just to the point where it used to represent some optometry practice, but obviously that's gone by the wayside because no one's taking care of it anymore. And it's just two bespectable eyes gazing unrelentlessly down on this scene in the Valley of Ashes at all times. Right. And the Valley of Ashes, if we were talking about how beautiful the prose was last time, oh boy, shit gets real. It does. The Valley of Ashes, this, so I think, again, this bit in the movie too, Perfect. this location in the film is phenomenal. Yes. And it, it's, in my sort of estimation, maybe the truest to what you've read in the book. I think. Oh, for sure. Just the way that it's that it comes. Um, this is the Valley of Ashes. Are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. About halfway between West Egg and New York, the motor road hastily joins the railroad and runs beside it for a quarter of a mile, so as to shrink away from a certain desolate area of land. This is a Valley of Ashes, a fantastic farm where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and grotesque gardens where ashes take the forms of houses and chimneys and rising smoke, and finally, with a transcendent effort, of ash-gray men who move dimly and already crumbling through the powdery air. Occasionally, a line of gray cars crawls along an invisible track, gives out a ghastly creak, and comes to rest, and immediately the ash-gray men swarm up with leaden spades and stir up an impenetrable cloud, which screens their obscure operations from your sight. It's so gorgeous. What I find really interesting is your edition says... Of ash gray men, yeah, who move dimly. Mine just says of men. Oh, interesting. Right, hey. But I love that because the gray coloring here is so connotative to, mm -hmm. like, death. Mm -hmm. This is where the excess of consumerism of the twenties is poisoning the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the actual physical waste. And these are the people who live in it. And yes. who create it. Yes. And who cannot escape it. No, and the people who drive through it. Yes. Between the city and, and the island are the people who are, in theory, most unaffected by it. Mm -hmm. And the ones who most profit from it. Yes. It's a wonderful, wonderful discussion of social hierarchy in this novel. And so these eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg mm -hmm. gaze over this valley of ashes mm -hmm. and see everything. And I remember being in grade 12 and reading The Great Gatsby. Um, it was one of our novels 
before our IB exam, and I remember having this conversation about these eyes and why it mattered that mm-hmm. there was these eyes that saw everything but also saw nothing at the same time, and sort of what that meant for the way that the narrative is structured. Yeah, because it is Nick. He's applying this meaning to the eyes. Mm-hmm. To everyone else, they're just an old billboard that hasn't been bought by anyone else or painted. Right. But to Nick, it's it's judgment, it's observation. Right. Which is so wonderful, especially because we don't know observing what mm-hmm. yet. So the, in this chapter, there's another party. <laughs> this is an awful one. And uh, Nick first meets Tom Buchanan's mistress. Oh, I love Myrtle so much. I love the description of Myrtle, especially because she's so... I love the word in here, sumptuous. Mm-hmm. And she is everything that Daisy isn't. is not. Yes. And, it, and in so many ways. Yeah. And I, I, I think that Tom cares more about her than he does about Daisy. Interesting. I've always thought that. We'll come back to that. Yeah. In the end. Um, But I love the description of her because she exudes sex. And um, I remember talking to my kids about uh, why this book in the 20s was in many ways controversial. And they couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I said, look at this passage. Listen to it. Imagine the woman that embodies this passage. And it says, uh, In a moment, the thickish figure of a woman blocked out the light from the office door. She was in the middle 30s and faintly stout, but she carried her surplus flesh sensuously, as some women can. Her face above a spotted dress of the dark blue, is it crepe de chine? Yep. Contained no facet or gleam, he nailed it. Of beauty, but there was an immediately perceptible vitality about her, as if the nerves of her body were continually smoldering. She smiled slowly and walking through her husband as if he were a ghost, shook hands with Tom, looking him flush in the eye. Then she wet her lips and, without turning around, spoke to her husband in a soft, coarse voice. Oof. Love that wet her lips. Oof. Because that's Nick. Nick thinks she is fine as hell. Yes, because this is, yeah, this is Nick's. This is Nick's male gaze. Yes. And which I guess by extension is Fitzgerald's male gaze. All over. That's true. All over Myrtle. And, and what she, she doesn't. Isn't is a flapper girl. I was just going to say, what she yes. doesn't embody is that image that Jordan Baker more so than anyone else in the book, embodies. Yeah, that boyish, that angular, that thin... Like, that very statuesque... Androgynous way. No, Myrtle's all woman. Yeah. She's got it. She knows how to use it. Yeah. She's flaunting it. And guess what? She's bagged one of the richest dudes in town. Mm. Huh? So, she's a real hero in this story. (laughs) She really is. Like, she can get it. She can get it. And boy, does she. And boy. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. Um, oh, God. It just hit me. <laughs> so Nick is like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, I bet you thought you were going to get away with no inside jokes this time. Sorry, guys. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. 
fine. Okay. So, Nick is, like, super confused about all this. And I think this is where some of his sort of, like, Midwestern purity shows through. That he's... <sighs> yeah. He's quite... Maybe not purity, but naivete. Like, he's he is very naive. Which is ridiculous for someone who fought in World War One. <laughs> well, I know. Right. But... But I think that there's, I think that there's like this, or, or perhaps it's Nick as narrator projecting what he believes he was feeling, like, do you know what I mean? Right. That could be it. But in any case, the Nick that we're getting out of this and his response to, you know, Tom having this mistress, he's, he's sort of like, I don't get it. Yes. And it's also super awkward for Nick because, like, Tom is married to his cousin. And, like, he really likes Stacy. Yeah, and she's, like, she's not unlikable. But you don't like her very much, if that makes any sense. Myrtle. No, Daisy. Oh, Daisy. Right? And so, because, because we don't like her very much, but mm-hmm. I think Nick does. Yes. And he, he cares about her, and he's yeah. sort of, you know, worried after her. Yes. Maybe is the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. So he's with his cousin's husband, meeting the cousin's husband's <laughs> mistress, and he's kind of like, so like, I don't get it? And so, and, and so Tom makes this comment about how awful the Valley of Ashes is. Just how gross, you know, and, and George Wilson's yeah. shop and this, all this kind of stuff. And then Tom says, it does her good to get away. Yeah. And so obviously George... Oh, I see what you mean. So obviously George Wilson, or as far as Tom knows, George Wilson doesn't know about the affair. Mm-hmm. And so then, because um, Tom says, Wilson, he thinks she goes to see her sister in New York. He's so dumb, he doesn't know he's alive. Which, if you go back to the bit of, like walking through her husband like he's a ghost, ghost. is just gorgeous gold and how he's pale and but i wonder if also almost anemic if that's tom's projection of george that tom is just sort of willing to look through george wilson and it's like he's he's a nothing oh because he's too. not going to stand in the way of but do you think that thing? nick <coughs> would take that in nick hates tom nick does hate tom so I don't think he would be on board with Tom's no perspective. But I think that that's just Tom saying yes, and I don't think it's George. wrong. No. Um. Uh. So Tom Buchanan and Myrtle and Nick go to New York. <laughs> what? It's crazy. And this is what I fucking love about Nick is because he has absolutely no gumption. None. Like, he is uncomfortable. Yeah. He does not want to be there. And he says, hold on, I have to leave you here. And Tom says, no, you don't. And so he doesn't. That's it. Yeah, he's just He like, just okay. continues on. And his way to cope with all of this is to just get fucking blot out. <coughs> Wouldn't you, though? No, I'd just leave. Would you? Yes, I would. Would you? You'd be able to just like smoke bomb out. Yeah, I can just leave. Give me a situation that's uncomfortable, and I'm like, no, bye. I don't owe anybody anything. But in this situation where you're like with a person who's taking you to a place you're not familiar with, like, do you know what I mean? And I think that's one of the reasons why Nick stays. It's because he's like, okay. <sighs> Nick is such a fucking fancy boy. <laughs> he really is. He's awful. He's the worst. The worst. Um. So, there's this apartment. I hate this. It's so <laughs> awful. It is so awful. It's so awful what Tom's doing. And and I, and Daisy's, like, ignorance of it is, well, like... Well, she knows. Yes, but she, she ignores it, ultimately. 
Yes, because you know. there's nothing. She, what is she? Yeah. To no, do? I know, but her, but her ignorance of it. I was just gonna say, like, just makes it sadder somehow that yeah. she's just that she's she's almost she's like complicit in her own unhappiness, but she's complicit like out of necessity. Yes, I agree. Right, like she's you're right. There's it's nothing a, she can do. It's just a very sad situation. And Tom is gonna take whatever the fuck Tom wants. Yes, and this is why I'm a bit more sympathetic to Daisy than you are is because I do believe that considering her social context and how she was raised and the society that she lives in she is powerless I can remain sympathetic to Daisy for a while can't wait to see when that turns yeah um, so yeah they have this big old party at this it's like a bad party though it's a bad party well, because Nick is fucking drunk. And this is what I want to ask you about. Because yep. in thinking about this past-present narrative sort of contradiction that we have, in this situation, we have to remember that Nick is also drunk. And he tells us he's been drunk twice in his life, and the second was this night. Right. And he has these really interesting feelings of, of disconnectedness. He says, I'm within and I'm without watching them but also participating in what I see and doesn't quite have a sense of nowness right. about him in this party situation. Can we even trust the terrible awful thing that happens here as it happens if he's already tell us telling us that he is so fucking drunk and maybe on some substances too. Right. Okay. Can we trust that what he's telling us is the truth? Can we trust that anything he's telling us is the truth? Because everything he's telling us is what he's remembering. And is biased towards Gasparini. Yes. So he's going to make Tom look... As bad as As bad can. as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very good question. I'm not sure. I think he's remembering... I think he's remembering as a drunk person would remember. Like... Flashes, flashes and, and something, sort of piecing it together. But then I think that you get, unless you get to the point that you are like legit blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. I think, well, for in my own experience, anyway, I remember it eventually, anyways. Okay, so it comes. back It does to come you. back. It might not come back in chronological order, <laughs> but the the whole thing sort of comes back eventually. Okay. And so I think that his remembrance of the event, because it's interesting where he says, because he flips then back into that narrative. Yes. I have been drunk just once or twice in my life, and so he's reminding us that he's telling us the story now, in mm-hmm. the now, rather than in the past. Um, he says, and the second time was that afternoon, which means then that from that time until whenever he's telling the story, like a year later or whatever it is, he's not been drunk since. Yeah. He's Be- learned his lesson. He's learned his, and that's why I think what he tells us, that there is truth to it okay that's what i think so this terrible situation which we are alluding to is that sometime toward midnight tom buchanan and mrs wilson which i love is how nick refers to her as that uh stood face to face discussing understatement in impassioned voices whether mrs wilson had any right to mention daisy's name Daisy, Daisy, Daisy shouted mrs wilson i'll say it whenever i want to daisy Daisy. Making a short, deft movement, Tom Buchanan broke her nose with his open hand. So, so far he's an asshole. 
He's a racist. Yeah. And he's also a domestic And he abuser. peaked at 21. And he peaked at 21. And he's 30 now, so. Um, it's awful. Yes. And, and what, go ahead. The question that I've often had about this particular scene is, is this the only time he's exactly. done this? Has he done this to Myrtle before? Has he done it to Daisy? Has he done it to their child? Like, there's so many questions. It's unlikely that this is the first time. Yes, and then that question that from last the from last chapter about in this context of Me Too is Daisy's ignorance yeah. a sign of intelligence. This sort of puts that into almost starker relief. Yeah, because if she can block it out and know what not to do then maybe she doesn't get hurt then she doesn't and her daughter doesn't get hurt in more than an emotional way yes. which is how she frames it to nick yes it's <sighs> i keep thinking of the scene in the movie this like this chapter in the, the movie, movie is, is just it's gorgeous and like the the way that this particular incident is handled in that film is just beautifully shot yeah because I love beautifully it. crafted. I love it, especially the color symbolism. Myrtle's apartment is all red. She's in red and black. It starts with them, Nick, sitting in the living room, as Tom and Myrtle have sex in the bedroom. Yes, and you can hear it. And it's awkward. And he's just sitting there. And what I love about the book is after this happens, Nick finally gets the fucking cojones yeah. to leave. Yes. But it's not because he wants to. No. Or no, it's not because he takes the initiative. It's because someone else leaves. Mm. And he, sows, he sees an open door. And like, walks right free. through it. Which, uh, again, speaks to sort of Nick and all of these characters in so many different ways. Yeah. Taking advantage of the circumstances in which they find themselves. Yes, absolutely. And so in this case, Nick is like, I'm out. I gotta go. Mm-hmm. And the last thing he remembers, um, I was lying half asleep in the cold lower level of the Pennsylvania station staring at the morning tribune and waiting for the four o'clock train and that's it that's it that's it no commentary nope on what he's seen what he feels about it no nothing at all it's just the evidence as he remembers it yes which is super crucial yes not that I'm trying to give Tom any benefit of the doubt no but it's important for the narrative I think um, my question for you is this just the paragraph before that is really odd because he goes back to Mr. McKee's house yeah. question mark and to look at his photographs and um, this is what Nick remembers and they use the ellipsis beautifully in here this disconnectedness mm-hmm. this gaps I was standing beside his bed and he was sitting up between the sheets clad in his underwear with a great portfolio in his hands. And in, and then, then I was lying half asleep in the cold lower level. Mm-hmm. So is this Nick again not being able to say no? I think so. Or is this, as my students decided, clear evidence of Nick's homosexuality? Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, because I think... No, we'll get to that at some other point in time when we deal with Nick and, and Gatsby. No, I think this is Nick is just his inability to say no. Because mm-hmm. I think, again, that sort of Midwestern naivete, I think, shows itself here. Because he really doesn't know what to do in these situations. He's, like, very truly uncomfortable in these situations. 
but also Nick, I'm assuming you've killed people. So? That's following order. That's a, like, I'm not, I'm not, but he's able to, I think he's able to separate the two things because in the context of battle, he's following orders and he's like, sort of. Doing what's expected. Doing what's expected of him. Right. And in this case, I think he doesn't know what's expected of him. And so he doesn't know what to do and how to react to it. So if he, if Nick was given, say, an order to go down, would Nick go down? Even if he were not comfortable with going down? Probably. But it would have to be a superior officer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I, would, I would think, I think that he would be very good at following orders. <laughs> and, but he needs very clearly to be told what to do. Correct. In chapter one, Jordan Baker has to tell him to shut up. Yes. So and that, he's like, oh. you know, and so all of these things, um, you know, and then like, as we, we'll get later on, when Gatsby tells him the things that he needs to do to like, make a certain situation work, you know, like, mm-hmm. he just does those things. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have an independent thought. No. Until he's reflecting on this. On this later in his narration. And I'm gonna have to agree with you about questioning, like what what is the trauma for Nick here? I do. I am disappointed because how judgmental Nick is in other areas. Mm -hmm. How is it that he's not judgmental here? I think. Like, he thought, in the last chapter, we didn't talk about it, but he thought that Daisy should take the baby and fucking run. Yeah. I think that he... I don't think it's that he's not judgmental, but I think that there is a certain um, expectation that, like, wealthy men have mistresses. I, I, I'm not saying it's correct, and I'm not saying that that's a way that people should think. Yes. But I think if you look in the context of that time, and I think if you look, it, it seems very um, so normal. Of their social group, essentially, like, the 1%. Yes. That that was probably a fairly There accurate... are different rules for the 1%, even in 1925. Yes. Than we can consider today. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And they get away with things until they can't anymore. Mm -hmm. But they get away with them for a very long time. Mm -hmm. As Tom is here. Right. And I mean, he breaks her face. He breaks her face. Quickly. Easily. ultimately gets away with it. And with, not that we see, remorse. No, none whatsoever. It's chaotic. Yes. Afterwards, because everyone's running around screaming and plugging her nose with fucking newspapers and shit. But that's it. Yeah. That's all we know. Yeah. But I love to watch my students read this chapter. Yeah. Because they always look at me like, what? I know. Wide like, jaw. Tom Buchanan is an asshat. <laughs> <laughs> he is an asshat. He really is. He's an ass hat. He wears absolute. a gold ass hat. He does. He's the fucking worst. Um, he's just and like that 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 the description of him in chapter one, and then like this behavior in chapter two, and then the things that come later. Like it's just this self fulfilling prophecy of oh, for sure. of of a man who peaked at twenty one. Yes, but it's unfortunately not 
a negative prophecy. No, no, that is that is correct. So Mike has sent us some questions. He has. I think we should maybe leave them. Okay. For I want to get to them, but we need to leave them till the end. Till the end, yeah. or later on, anyway. Okay. Um, do we have a chapter two question? We do, but we've kind of addressed them. Okay. But also, one is spoilery, so I. Okay. About George. Do we want to say that? I think we should address it and then come back okay. to it. So, is George Wilson more than he seems? So, this is connecting to your perception and, and Tom's perception and Nick's perception that George Wilson is a ghost. I think that George Wilson, like, he's not a ghost ghost, obviously. I no. feel like he's a real person. <laughs> he's, he's a literal ghost? Question mark? <laughs> Wait, you didn't know that Great Gatsby was sci-fi? <laughs> uh, shit, that would explain so much. Oh, explain, I've got such great ideas That now. would explain why no one has ever seen Jay Gatsby. Ever. Well, At his parties. <laughs> no one knows. Wait, but he's a ghost too? Yes, that would explain it's so much. It's a city things. of ghosts? Yes. <gasps> the is Valley the of original, Ashes. Is this the original Coco? <laughs> <laughs> but the Valley of Ashes is just a bunch of ghost people, really. True. Um, so George Wilson is George Wilson more than what he seems here at the beginning. I think that there is more to him. I don't think he knows what's going on with Myrtle and Tom. No, he's the because he's think, the embodiment of what Daisy wants for Pammy. Yes, is what Wilson is. That's true. Because he's just working so fucking hard at his auto repair business. Um, and I also think that like, you know, Tom Wilson for all of his awful terrible qualities, I think that he is like charming enough. Tom Buchanan, you mean? Oh, yes, whatever his name is. I think that he is charming enough that when he comes into the repair shop, mm. Wilson just thinks he's there for business purposes. Mm. Right? And they have their little conversation and whatever, and it's just that it's, it's that, that keeping up of appearances. Yes. And then, you know, Tom carries on his way. Mm-hmm. And then Myrtle follows him. Or meets him at the appointed time, or whatever it is. Right. And I think, like you say, George is so busy keeping up work at his shop that he doesn't necessarily notice what's going on. It doesn't seem as if openly Myrtle has any feelings for her husband. Right. She's rude to him quite blatantly and openly and we hear during the party that she regrets marrying him because he was too poor. And she didn't realize how poor he was at the time. Right. So I'm just wondering how he can't see it. Maybe. George Wilson is a beautiful little fool. Who sees what's there Mm -hmm. and chooses to ignore it. Because if he doesn't ignore it, then he has to deal with it. Or is he just someone who sees the best in people? Maybe. He sees Tom Buchanan's money as, you know, as, as, you know, business. He Mm -hmm. doesn't see it as anything else. He doesn't see it as any... Or... Anything nefarious. He sees Myrtle as, you know, whatever. This is what I think. Does he see Myrtle as business? Because she comes out from the office, dressed seductively, gets the money out of the man. Okay. Is he... I'm going to regret this. Myrtle's pimp? (laughs) Maybe a little. 
that's fascinating. That's a fascinating thought. Because, but and I guess we'll address the George Wilson question again later on because I think it matters. Yes. I think it's an important 100%. question to talk about because what we know of him in this chapter, I would say the answer is no. Right? Yeah. He doesn't come across that way. No. But I would say what we know about him later, the answer is, is perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. And there's something that's... Because there's a very interesting, like, loss of revenue that occurred. Like, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, if, if you want to take that, if you want to take that... Because George, maybe on his own, doesn't have the capacity to bring in customers. A loss of revenue. Question mark? But you know what I mean? Like, maybe he doesn't have the capacity on his own to bring in customers the way that he and Myrtle can. Yes. Together as a unit. Together as a unit. Mm. And so, if she's fucking other people, as long as she's also bringing in the business, it's not the end of the world. But I don't get the impression she's having more than one affair. No, maybe not. But even still. Because Tom would not let that happen. Oh, God, no. No, Tom could fuck literally everybody on Earth. Mm-hmm. But everyone no else who's fucking him else. can only be with him. Yes. Um, but it's just like, which also I wonder, are Daisy and Tom still fucking I each was other? just gonna say that! Yes! Megan. Mindfeld! Yes! The answer is no. no. Not Hard at all. No. no. Hard no. No. <laughs> hard yes but no absolutely not I don't think they are someone's hard <laughs> but <laughs> um and yeah I don't think they are because I think Tom has made it very clear that he has certain needs yes and I and I Ugh. do not think Daisy Does. is willing to satisfy those to needs? satisfy those needs Ooh, what fetish does Tom have? He's pretty depraved. He has to be. I bet you I would just make an assumption the way, just the way he reacts to things. It's stuff, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, I would bet you it's it's very aggressive. Like very, a subdom like, situation? I, would, I wouldn't be surprised because of the way that he he's so bombastic. Do you think that Tom also has sex with his dom jeans on? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> uh, stay tuned for chapter three. <laughs> Question mark. That's it. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Bye bye.